If Christ is king, how should the Christian consider the kingdoms of this world? What does the Bible teach us about human authority and what it means to love our neighbors and our enemies? Before we render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, let's know what it means to render unto God what is God's. This is the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, the modern prophetic voice against war and empire. Welcome to another episode of the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. This week and every week on Biblical Anarchy, we seek to live counterculture to the empire of man and to instead seek the kingdom of God by unpacking what the Bible teaches about government, authority, and human relationships. I am your host, Jacob Daniel. So today's episode is a bit unscripted, a little bit of a monologue that I wanted to do. I just have a lot of different things that have been going on, a lot of different things I've been thinking about, and like none of these things can really be standalone episodes, but if I talk about them all in one episode, they can just be one episode together where I just talk about some different things and that are going on, things that I've been part of. So for starters, I wanted to talk a little bit about just some recent events as of when I'm recording this, and I'm recording this on the 5th of April. Last weekend, so the 1st of April, I was at the Take Human Action kickoff in New York City, which is a tour that was put together by the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus. And I think I've talked about this over the last couple episodes. I had Michael Heiss on a couple episodes ago to talk about the tour and we announced then that the Libertarian Christian Institute, of which this podcast is a project of, was going to be a sponsor for this tour. So we showed up, we drove, we got up early Saturday morning, drove up to the city, spent the day there at the event, and we got to listen to a lot of great speakers. We started off in the morning listening to our very own Mike Meharry, who gave a really good speech about the Constitution. I'm going to touch on that a little bit later. And then we heard from Maj Ture, who gave less of a speech and more of like had a sort of interactive conversation with the audience who were just asking a bunch of questions about outreach and about connecting with communities and specifically on issues of the Second Amendment and reaching out to urban communities and minorities. And then we had Tom Woods give a speech and Dave Smith give a speech. And I do want to just plug here, at before I get too much deeper into my monologue, I want to plug that you can, first of all, go watch all of these speeches. If you go to like the Take the Mises Caucus, like YouTube and Facebook pages and all that, and I'll provide links for that in the show notes. And you can see Mike Meharry's full speech. And then you can also see interviews we did with three of the speakers. We did interviews with Mike Meharry, with Tom Woods, and with Dave Smith, after each one of them gave a speech and after Dave did a panel. And you can find all of those on the Libertarian Christian Institute's flagship podcast channel. And I'll have links for that as well. And those were all really good conversations. And I wanted to talk a little bit about my experience at the event. And it was really cool to be there with the Libertarian Christian Institute. And I've been to a lot of libertarian events since becoming a libertarian and they were at state conventions or they were at Mises caucus events or they were like local county party meetups or 
representing the Libertarian Party at various venues. But this was the first time I did an event with the Libertarian Christian Institute. And the really kind of the first time that I went there sort of like representing Christian libertarianism. And so it was really cool that a lot of the people who came up to us at our table were already kind of like in that mindset of wanting to talk about the intersection between faith and politics and asking like, well, what is the biblical case about libertarianism or libertarian anarchy? What do you think about this passage? Or here's my experiences. I had conversations with people who had left the church and become libertarians. And now as libertarians, they're sort of like reconsidering some of their beliefs when it comes to religion and God and Christianity and the Bible and seeing people in their spheres who share their political views, who connect their political views to their Christianity, to the Bible, and having a chance to interact with them, you know, it was really cool to see some people who came up and had just those kind of like frank, really sort of spontaneous heart-to-heart conversations with us. And, you know, we also had some fellow groups in the libertarian movement that we got to talk with. The Foundation for Economic Education had a table there. And so we got to sort of network with some people there. I was able to see Irene from Liberty Speaks again. I've had her on my show a few, uh, several episodes back. And I was also able to connect with people who are just part of the Libertarian Party and part of the Mises Caucus who were just excited to see us be there because it's nice to see more networking and collaboration within the Libertarian movement. And I think a lot of people were excited to see like, oh, wow, there's this group that are Christians who are advocating for the Libertarian message using Christian principles. And... Even if, so if they're Christian themselves, they're intrigued by that. But also, if they encounter Christians, they're able to point them in our direction. And I think a lot of people before, like they just didn't know if they, like they probably know others, probably people out there who do this, but where do I direct people to? And so we were able to give people business cards, exchange email and contact information with a lot of these people. And so it, it was really and overall, I think a very positive experience to to be out there and engage with people and network in the community. The speeches themselves, like I said, were fantastic. And one of the speeches I wanted to focus, well, actually, I wanted to focus a little bit on two of the speeches. I wanted to talk about Mike's speech and Dave's speech. So Mike Meharry gave a speech on the Constitution. And I need to have Mike back on the show. I One of my very first podcast episodes was with Mike Meharry on my old podcast, the Daniel 3 podcast. I think if you go check that out, it's like episode eight or nine, and it's like, it's on nullification. So I kind of talked about the 10th Amendment Center and also talked about his relationship between his Christianity and his political views. And I wouldn't say it was a bad episode, but it's definitely old, using an old mic and not as... I wouldn't say I'm polished now, but you know, not as polished as I am now, a little bit more rough around the edges in that episode. But so Mike gave a speech about using the Constitution, and I found that to be a little bit confounding, me and my anarchist perspective. And I know Mike's a voluntarist or an anarchist too. And so I was kind of like listening, kind of knowing that there had to be more to what he was saying at first and wanting to know where he was going with it because he was talking in ways about the Constitution that like, I found to be rather triggering, I guess, or aggravating, because 
he's using arguments that you hear a lot of strict constitutionalists speak or use. And so one of the things he was talking about is that the Constitution is a contract and that a contract has to be enforced in order for it to be valid. And that, therefore, it's not fair to quote like Spooner. If, you have, if you're not familiar with the quote, there's this quote by Lysander Spooner who said that the Constitution is either responsible for the government that we have or has been ineffective in preventing it, essentially. I'm probably over-paraphrasing it there, but that's the gist of it. Either like the Constitution gave us the giant tyrannical government we have now or it was completely ineffective in preventing it from coming into existence and growing to the extent that it has. And Mike basically said, well, of course the Constitution was powerless to prevent the growth of this tyrannical government because it's just words on paper. You need people to enforce it. Now, part of me understands what he's saying and part of me was also a little like, okay, but the way that the Constitution is framed to people, that the Constitution is this binding document and that it has all these checks and balances that are put into the system that are supposed to help to keep the system limited and keep it from becoming tyrannical. And to me, there's something about that language that constitutionalists use that, that feels a little bit like victim blaming, I suppose. And this kind of goes into some of the topics I talked about in last week's episode when I was having the debate with the open AI, because there's this idea of like, all right, well, government gets held in check by contracts and laws, and this can be done through competing governments. And so nation states sort of have treaties with one another, and those have to be enforced. Everything has to be enforced. And I get that. And I get where Mike and other constitutionalists are coming from. But I think that the nature of the governing structures matters in terms of their ability to be held accountable. And I think, I don't want to be unfair to Mike. I know what he's getting at is trying to promote a strategy of using the Constitution and the good parts within the Constitution that exist, the good ideas within it, to push back against the feds and to increase local sovereignty and decentralization. And I'm all for that. I just think it's also important to point out that the Constitution, even if people were trying their hardest to hold the government, the federal government, to that binding document, there were fatal flaws to the Constitution that would have inevitably always made that difficult. And I think, you know, I can get into specifics. Like there are a lot of libertarian thinkers and scholars who have exposed fatal flaws within the Constitution. I think that the Supreme Court, the easiest one to bring up is like the Supreme Court, giving the government the ability to interpret what the binding document it's held to means is a little bit suspect. <laughs> like, it's sort of like if I get to just define the terms and sort of redefine, reinterpret the things that are said in the binding document, if we had a contract with each other, you might be a little bit suspicious of, you know, of that. You would probably be like, well, no, there should be like a third party arbitrator or some neutral party who interprets this contract. But the Supreme Court is the one who ultimately interprets the, the Constitution. And you can say, well, I mean, it's not even, even if the Supreme Court justices were democratically elected the way senators and stuff are, that's still prone to corruption and 
partisan politics and all the problems with that, but they're not even elected. They're appointed by the representatives that we vote on in the electoral elections. And then they're appointed for life. And historically, some of the biggest overreaches or expansions of government power have been either enabled by or at least allowed by the Supreme Court in their decisions. So that that's one such example. And I think also just more at a meta level, the Constitution still created a state. It still created a monopoly of violence. And it put over maybe not like as many people as we have today, but it did institute a centralized power over a large group of people and didn't really have in it explicit ways for people to opt out of it. And it did give the government, the the United States government, the right to levy taxes and to do the things that libertarians and as anarchists that we call attention to, that we're protecting property rights by granting an institution the right to violate property rights. It's just, to me, these are things that are, even if you have a very motivated population, it's going to be hard to hold this kind of state at bay. But, you know, to my constitutionalist and minarchist allies within the libertarian movement, I will concede that at the very least that, sure, if a population of people had been highly motivated to hold the government accountable by using things like the 10th Amendment, like nullification and whatnot, then I think we would still have some problems, but would very likely not be in as rough shape as we are today. And I am very much a fan of the 10th Amendment strategy and of using the 10th Amendment to nullify federal overreach and state overreach at the municipal and state level, such as Second Amendment sanctuaries, such as drug decriminalization, criminal justice reform, things like defend the guard. These are all examples of that same strategy. And I am in favor of that. I think it's just also important to point out that the issue of minarchism, which again is a minimal state as opposed to no state, is that I don't think minarchism is sustainable because I think once you have crossed that bridge where wealth can be extracted at the point of the gun and that's legitimized and that there is a group of people who are above the law, even if you try to bind them with some kind of binding document, I think at the end of the day, what separates a polycentric legal order and what separates voluntarist or anarchist governing organizations is that they're entirely held accountable through market forces and a state isn't. And so once you cross that threshold, you are inviting corruption, you're inviting money into politics. And then also, I think what happens is as generations pass, because you have people aren't self-governing, I think people are incentivized to become lazier and to become more reliant on the state to solve their problems. And this is kind of echoed in like First Samuel 8 when the Jewish people ask God for a king to fight their battles. And the state and those who like to use the state to increase their power and wealth are incentivized to do whatever they can to further indoctrinate people into the legitimacy and the necessary the necessity of the state and the necessity of expanding state power. So that's just some thoughts that I had. Again, it's like I don't it'd be a very short episode if I was all gonna talk about, but it was just a, a good speech by Mike on the strategy. I had some thoughtful and and Mike did 
near the end of his speech, talk about sort of his disagreements with the Constitution as a voluntarist and wasn't trying to ignore those. So I'll definitely be having Mike on the show at some point in the future. I've had so many guests on lately. I'm trying to not not make this show too much of a, you know, like I have a guest every week. So I'll have him on at some point, probably in the next couple months or so, to have a more in-depth dialogue about those issues and topics because I think it's really fascinating. But definitely go watch his speech and support his work, buy his book, all that. I also listened to Tom Woods' speech, and I don't really... It was a good speech. I don't didn't have any specific thoughts or reactions to it. I love Tom. I really wanted to talk about Dave's speech, because Dave gave... I mean, I've listened to Dave give a lot of speeches, both live and over the internet, and this might be, I don't know, like one of Dave's top speeches I've ever heard. It's in like the top three, I think, and... I really, really encourage... I'm going to put the link for that in the show notes. The problem is I think it's part of like a longer, like multiple speaker video, but I'll, I'll put timestamps and stuff like that so you can just go to his speech if you just want to focus in on that. But Dave gave this really good speech. He touched on a lot of different things, but I think like the overall theme was he was kind of like explaining how we got here and then connecting that to how to move forward. It's like, we have to know where we are and how we got here in order to move forward. And he touched on so many key themes, but the one line he said, like this was like in the context of like he was explaining sort of like the right-left culture war, sort of the struggle over the ring of power over the last several decades. And he was talking about sort of like the Afghanistan and Iraq war, sort of the George Bush era, and how the evangelical Christians post 9-11, you know, they pretty much, for the one of the few times in history, they had pretty much control of everything. They had control of the culture. They had control of the government. And what they did with that, and this is pretty much an exact quote from Dave, minus some of the expletives, because Dave's a comedian and we'll throw those expletives in. He said, the evangelical Christians put all their chips on killing a million Iraqis. And so who were they to try to tell the progressives that they were then going too far? As we now see like in today's culture that like the woke, the left, the progressives are the ones who are dominating all the institutions and the government and pushing for like even more so, it seems in the neocons, just lobbying for war, lobbying for centralization and control. And not that the conservatives have all become free market libertarians and perfect in those regards, but just that the evangelical Christians, they sort of like blew their credibility when they did this because it was like they themselves sort of advocated for the growth of government power and overreach and this idea of sort of like using the government to dominate culture and to dominate the globe and the world with our inf- with American influence and at any cost. It didn't matter how much money it cost. It didn't matter how many lives, innocent lives it cost. It was this holy American war. And now it's like George Bush is kind of like this joke, but I think that extends to like the evangelical right. Like they, they've sort of lost any sort of like credibility And to me, it speaks to like the biblical principle of like, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. And that has so much more to do with like people 
really focus in on the cursing aspect of it. And I'm not trying to say that we should be completely uncouth or unrestrained in our speech. Although I do think some people tend to get too far the other way sometimes where they're just looking to be offended by people's speech because it's like, you know, put it this way. If I had played Dave Smith's clip in its entirety here with the cursing involved and your reaction, instead of hearing the fundamental truth of his argument was to focus in on how you're offended by him using words like, like the S word or the F word to sort of like demonstrate his anger or his passion in what he was saying. Like, I'm sorry, I don't think that is really what God or what the Bible is focusing on when it talks about watching our language and to keep our what comes out of our lips clean and to not take the Lord's name in vain. I think what's worse, what's like, what is actually taking the Lord's name in vain is claiming to be Christian and using the Bible and using Jesus as the sort of poster boy and the motivating cultural force to then go and do things that are just completely antithetical to everything that Christ taught, everything that Christ lived, and everything that we're supposed to emulate as Christians. It's kind of like what Scott Horton was saying a few episodes back. You know, the way Scott phrased it was that, like, the war was sold, that, like, if you love America and you love God and, you know, you, you love all these things, then, you know, how can you not be for these wars? And well, okay, if we love God and we love his commands, maybe we'd be against those wars because Jesus said that what you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. And maybe bombing people, innocent people halfway across the world who are just guilty for living on a specific piece of geography, maybe that's not the message we want to send Jesus if, if what we do to the least of these, we've done unto him. And maybe we're called to be the peacemakers and we're called to be salt and light to the world. And that means we should be spreading the gospel, not bombs. And that means we should be spreading the truth and not worried about expanding American global hegemony or trying to control the world currency or trying to control all these trade negotiations. Like, And there's such a problem of the ways in which the American evangelical church got so wrapped up in sort of like this Americanized version of Christianity. And, you know, it pushed so many people away. I mean, I could go on and on about just all the horrors that were unleashed domestically and globally by that relationship. But it also was such a harmful witness to the youth of America. I mean, if we, if the evangelicals want to wonder why millennials and why Zoomers, why so many people are falling away from the church, they don't have progressives to blame, or at least not only progressives to blame. They have themselves to blame. And I think this is kind of what Dave's talking about too. It's like the evangelicals don't have much of a leg to stand on to sort of like push back against progressivism. That's sort of like swallowing up the youth because the evangelicals have sold a bag of dirty goods and they're like, no one trusts them anymore. No one takes them seriously anymore. And I just think about the harm that was done to the gospel, to the gospel message. How many people, you know, were turned? I mean, I, I myself was almost pushed out of the church and my faith because I just couldn't square the evils that were being done in the name of God and church. And this isn't new. There's been wars and evil that's been waged in the name of God 
throughout the centuries, even within the Bible. But we need to be better as Christians. We need to take advantage of the knowledge that we have and the history that we can see and learn from and to learn from our mistakes. And so, yeah, I just think as I bring things to a bit of a close here, my goal is to keep this under 30 minutes, I really recommend that you check out some of those speeches from the Take Human Action event. Again, that happened last weekend and links will be there in the show notes. And and also, I will be having Dave... I already had Dave Smith on and recorded an episode with him. And once that's fully edited, that will be up. So that'll be up either after this episode or the following week. And you know, Dave and I had an episode... had a conversation, rather, about truth and about what we can do now as people who believe in God, people who believe in liberty, and what we do next in terms of like, A, understanding and setting the record straight as to what is going on in this upside down world, and then how we can sort of like be firm in how we raise our kids and in how we introduce them to this crazy fallen world. And that comes from how we parent them. That also comes from just the things that we stand for and proclaim. And I think if there's anything that the church is supposed to do, we're supposed to be that voice in the desert that's proclaiming the name of the Lord, that's proclaiming truth, and that's proclaiming peace. Again, I mean, that is what what Jesus is ultimately going to bring when he comes back is peace on earth and these wars and these petty struggles for power and dominance over one another. That is not what the kingdom of God is about. That's what the kingdom of man is about. And so I'm really excited for the conversations that I was able to witness. I'm excited for you guys to be able to hear the conversation I had with Dave Smith, which will be airing in the next couple of weeks. I also will be having, let's see, I recorded an episode with my friend Jose Galasan. I'll be recording an episode with Angela McArdle, the chair of the Libertarian National Committee, which will be airing sometime in the next month or so. And yes, in terms of other content that's coming out, I'm going to be doing some more debates with the AI and going back into also expounding on property rights and what we can learn about property rights in the Bible. So I have lots of great content in the works and I'm excited to share with you guys. But I wanted to take this episode to sort of just recap some of these light hits and things that have been rattling around in my brain that I wanted to talk about, but just couldn't really justify doing a whole episode on any one of these topics. So I thank you all for listening to me monologue for the last 28 minutes, and I hope you will tune in next week for what we have in store. Peace. Talk to you then. The Biblical Anarchy Podcast is a part of the Christians for Liberty Network, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. If you love this podcast, it helps us reach more with a message of freedom when you rate and review us on your favorite podcast apps and share with others. If you want to support the production of the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, please consider donating to the Libertarian Christian Institute at biblicalanarchypodcast.com, where you can also sign up to receive special announcements and resources related to biblical anarchy. Thanks for tuning in.